1 Peter chapter 4. <clears throat> we have been preaching through this book verse by verse, and it's taken us a bit of time, but I trust it's been a blessing for you as we have looked at this message geared to helping God's people abound in hope. In 1 Peter, Peter was addressing those Gentile believers who had recently come to the Lord and found that it is not exactly easy street when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Uh, family sometimes misunderstands. Friends will sometimes be upset and, and forsake you. And uh, these people were going through hardships. They were losing their jobs. They were losing their opportunities. And, and they were losing hope. And so Peter writes a book uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to encourage them to abound in hope. He gives them a totally different perspective on this earthly pilgrimage and helps to, to ground their feet in eternal truths. And we as believers today can glean much from these same verses, and I trust that we will. The theme verse that we have chosen from this text is verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Thank God for the resurrection. Thank God for the lively hope. And no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've given up for Jesus Christ, you really haven't made much of a sacrifice at all because when you consider what is in store for you and me, wow, there's a lot of hope to hang your hat on. We have a lively hope. The last uh, verses that we looked at, if we'll review here just for a moment, were uh, the end of verse of chapter 3, where the Bible says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And I want you to notice that uh, we have chosen the theme, Abounding in Hope, for this series, uh, but you could have said it this way. Uh, you could easily talk about the theme of 1 Peter as hope in suffering or just suffering as a believer. Uh, suffering is a theme of this book. He goes uh, almost every chapter. Okay, don't need that. A phone, talk, uh, a phone talking to me. Uh, I don't think she said amen either. <clears throat> uh, but the, the matter of, of suffering is, is such a key matter that Christians need to know how to navigate. Now, we're coming up on Thanksgiving, and it can seem uh, counterintuitive to have a heart of thanksgiving and praise if you're going through a particular trial or series of trials. But this is where Christians really do have an opportunity to shine as lights in the world, to praise and give thanks in the midst of suffering, hardship, and trials. Suffering, as we've seen, is a theme. First Peter 3.18, we just read it, and he, he goes on to say, by which he also went and preached the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when uh, once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but of the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to re-preach that message if you say, boy, that's an interesting, interesting couple of verses there. Go to the archive online, listen to the message, and, 
And bottom line, I'll just say this. This passage is talking about his suffering that purchased our victory. In verse 22, he says that he rose, verse 21, and now he has ascended, verse 22, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. He went through all that suffering. He declared victory. He rose and he ascended and he has purchased victory for every single one of us. Now we come to verse 1 of chapter 4, our text for today. And the Bible says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise. And let's pause right there. There's some verses where we like to pause where the Holy Spirit didn't pause. There's some verses we'd like to cut a little short. And this is one that in our flesh, maybe we'd like to stop it right here. Arm yourselves. Does that sound good? Onward, Christian soldiers. Let's go take out the people who were causing us to suffer. Let's go turn it back on their heads. Let's turn the tables on the devil and let's arm ourselves. Sounds real good until you keep reading. Sometimes the Bible spoils some of my verses. Uh, it's a good thing I didn't write the Bible. I'll say that right now. It's a good thing God wrote the Bible because he knows what he's doing. But it says, for, the, for as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. What mind is that? It's the 1 Peter 3.18 mind. It's the first half of this verse. Verse 1, for as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves likewise with that same mind. The mind of Christ. In other words, arm yourselves mean be, means be prepared to suffer and embrace hardships as Jesus did for eternal purposes. It has not always been the understanding of Christians that the Christian life would be rosy, wonderful, everything goes right, and, and so forth. I think today, modern American Christianity is pretty soft. And I think compared to others, myself included, I'm putting myself in that number, I, I think I, I am pretty soft compared to other Christians who have lived. I think I'm pretty soft compared to other Christians who are living in other, other cultures, other countries, they're facing things that I've never faced and maybe never will face. This week, we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving. By the way, it's okay to celebrate Thanksgiving. I googled what is Thanksgiving all about, just for kicks, because I knew I'd be preaching this message, and I googled it, and I started at the top, and I clicked until I was too sick to keep clicking. I think I went through six clicks. And I couldn't find one article that told me what Thanksgiving was all about. I found a bunch of garbage, a bunch of people who basically said, uh, Thanksgiving and the pilgrims and all of this, people trying to find God and thank God. It's all, it's all a myth. It never happened that way. And found another website that said, uh, Thanksgiving should not be a day of Thanksgiving and praise. Thanksgiving should be a day of mourning. A day of mourning because the pilgrims were such horrible people and did all these horrible things to the natives and so forth and so on. 
And uh, it's just sad to me that history is being rewritten. And if a kid today says, I wonder what, what, what was Thanksgiving all about? And he Googles it, he's going to find all that garbage. But the truth of the matter is, there were people who were separatists, who were suffering for their faith, who went through incredible hardships to come here and, and to set out, uh, carve out a, 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 simply a spot where they could worship the Lord freely and, and lead their families to do the same. My daughter Erin is writing a paper on the pilgrims, and so my wife and my daughter have been reading and studying and talking on the dinner table. They're talking pilgrims, and they're all these facts and different books, and I'm telling you, it's been a long time for me since I have researched the pilgrim story, okay? So I'm listening to my wife, and I'm listening to my daughter, and they got all these different facts and details, and I'll say there's a lot there, folks, and a lot of convicting stories. Incredible what those folks went through the hardship, before they even got here, before they, I mean, they were going to Holland and running for their lives and all kinds of hardships and uh, trying to find a boat and, of course, they have no money and then being swindled by businessmen and so forth and so on. Uh, they had two boats and one boat sprung a leak, so they all went into the other boat, the Mayflower, which was not built for passengers. It was a cargo ship. How many of you want to take that voyage? with everyone that you had in your boat, plus everyone in the other boat. There was sickness. There was just, uh, it, it, was, it was not even humane how they lived. But they set out to the new world with the hope that they would have a new life to walk by faith and to raise their children to walk by faith, to worship the Lord. And I will say this, they, those early Christians understood something that Christians today do not the road of the Christian is a road of hardship and suffering, and that's okay, and that's to be expected, and they embraced it. Multiple times they could have turned around, they could have gone back, they could have been done. They said, no, this is, this is okay. It's okay to be a Christian and have to suffer. Jesus suffered. They understood that. They were not discouraged, and we shouldn't be either. The sorrows of life are what make the joys of life so much sweeter. Some things that the pilgrims faced here quickly before we get into this. 66 days aboard a merchant ship with deplorable living conditions and much sickness. They arrived to the New World in November. Cold New England. Just in time for winter. I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up. Like, how in the world do you arrive then? Uh, couldn't they have gotten lost and made it to Miami or something? <laughs> you know? uh, but they were thankful, thankful to have arrived and thankful that God had been faithful. But this was a winter that would leave half of their group dead. And uh, as we re were reading about this, my wife said, you know, honey, most of the men and women were younger than us. Uh, we're 40. A lot of them were just young families, said, I'm taking my kids and we're going. I was thinking about this last night because I knew it's Thanksgiving, but it's also Baby Dedication Sunday. And I thought, uh, now that's dedicating your baby. We're getting on a ship together, the five or six or seven of us, whatever it is, and we're going to serve Jesus. And some of us are going to meet Jesus, but this is what we're doing. Wow. There was uh, 
one whole family, I'm sorry, three whole families that were wiped out in their entirety. Three whole families just gone. They had to go th- uh, work through the intricacies of carving out a life from scratch, very little supplies, very little training, and, uh, and communicating to a native people that they couldn't understand. It was difficult. On April 5th, when the captain and crew sailed back to England, he asked, how many of you want to come back with me? And how many did? None. Not a single one. You would think that they'd say, okay, we made a mistake. Half of us are dead. Let's go back to England. No. Hardship was embraced. And they didn't think that God had been mean to them. God had not been faithful to them. They did not charge God foolishly. They expected that it is through much tribulation that we enter into the kingdom of God. They expected that God would bless them, and he did. What was their secret? I believe they understood what Peter was talking about in chapter 4, verse 1. And I believe they had done it. I believe they had armed themselves, likewise, with the same mind. The mind of Christ who was committed to suffer for our sakes and God's glory. They had armed themselves. How about you and me? The staff and I were able recently to go to Camp Kobiak. I love Kobiak. They're close, and they've got great speakers and great camps and retreats, and they had a retreat for pastors and uh, and their staff. And so I said, let's do this. We took the staff, we went up there, and made a couple days of it. And Jim Shetler was the preacher. How many of you know Jim Shetler? Just curious. Great preacher. He might, he's got to be one of my top five favorite preachers. Uh, he's, if you've never heard him preach, he's one of the most excited preachers you'll ever hear. He's just so excited to tell you the Word of God. I love it. And he says this. He says, in his message, he said, I love millennials. And he does. He was the campus pastor at PCC. He worked with college students. Uh, He's now at West Coast Baptist College. He's working with college students. He loves young people. He says, I love millennials. They do so many things well. They communicate so well. They're so open. They're so vulnerable. I mean, they post all their thoughts on social media, for crying out loud, right? I mean, uh, they they network. They're good with technology. They're innovative. They can figure things out. He says, I love millennials. He says, but you're waiting for that, right? There's one thing millennials don't do well at all. And I sat up, and I got to hear this. And he says, they do not handle hardship well. And I'll tell you, as soon as he said that, I said, he is right. He is totally right. I'm a millennial. I'm on the older spectrum, I think, of that generation. But why is that? Why don't we face hardship well? Well, he dropped that bomb, and then he preached a wonderful message on handling hardship, but he never, asked the que- he never answered my question, which was why. Why don't millennials handle hardship well? So I waited for him to get done preaching, and I made a beeline to him. I said, Brother Jim, you didn't say why. Why don't millennials handle hardship well? He said, oh, I didn't say, I didn't answer? Oh, that's easy. You were propped up. You were shielded. You were coddled. You were, everybody got a trophy. Everybody won. Nobody could ever lose. You weren't allowed to fail. Your parents, because they said they loved you, wouldn't let you live 
in an, any vulnerable situation where you might get hurt. He says, you never embraced any hardship, so therefore you can't handle hardship. You were told you shouldn't have to. So, wow. Well, Peter took a different approach than parents today. This is Baby Dedication Sunday. It's also Thanksgiving Sunday. I'm wedding two things together, and the Lord happened to give us the verse to help with it, all right? Peter had a different approach. Parents want to keep their kid from any hardship. It's just human nature. We want to keep them from any disappointment, any grief, any pain. We don't want them to go through some of the stuff that we went through. Peter says, arm yourselves. Peter spends a whole book preparing his kids, his kids in the faith, for the hardship that they will most certainly face. And Peter recognized that he had gone through hardships. Did Peter go through hardships? Mercy, he went through some hardships. But he understood something. Those hardships are what God used to make me. Would I deprive that of you? Parents, we've got to ask ourselves a question. Are we trying to deprive our kids from that which God would use as a furnace to mold and fashion that young one into, into a, a true uh, a vessel for his glory? Parents today have painted the good life out to their kids as one free of pain and suffering. I want you to have a better life than me. No pain, no suffering. I want my kids to have whatever. Peter painted the good life as the life that perseveres through this world's pain to gain the next world's blessings. He assumed we're going to have pain, but it's okay. It's bittersweet. Parents today say, it's not fair. My child should never have to go through this particular thing. How could anyone, uh, how could this happen to my child, somebody says. That's what we Christian parents are good at today. How could this happen to my kid? And Peter says this. In fact, just glance down, chapter 4, glance down to verse 12. I love it. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. How could this be happening to me? This couldn't be happening to me. I'm a Christian. I tithe. I put my kids in Christian education. We're in church all the time. Lord, I thought you loved me. How could this be happening to my kid? Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try, to try you. As though some strange thing happened to you. It's kind of like, Pastor CJ's in the military. He does some counseling. Guys come to him all the time with this and that and the other thing. Do you imagine if somebody came to him and said, you know, when I was on active duty in Iraq and we went out to this town, you know, they shot at us. I can't believe they shot at us. Why would they shoot at us? That's kind of what happens in war, Right? one side shoots at the other side and I'm sure Pastor CJ would be very kind and so forth but the idea would be don't think this strange I mean they're going to shoot at you let's talk about what we do when they do how do we handle this folks we're, we're in a battle arm yourselves 
Arm yourselves with the same mind, the mind of Christ, to recognize I should expect the devil to fight. I should expect the bullets to fly. I shouldn't think it's strange that me or my family or my, you know, my kids are going through something. After all, we are Christians, right? Sometimes parents will say, the Christian life shouldn't be this tough. Peter imbibed the biblical philosophy that we see in 2 Timothy 3.12, yea, and all they that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. How are you arming yourself for the Christian life? How are you arming your children? How are we arming the next generation? We've got some young parents here. We just prayed to dedicate these children to the Lord and prayed for these parents, and I trust we'll continue to pray for them and others. We need to pray that they will arm themselves and arm that next generation uh, for what, whatever they will face, whatever God will take them through. But recognize what most people do to arm their, their children is, is really of a secular nature. I want my kids to have the best. So I'm going to give them all this wealth that I never had, that they didn't have to work for, so that they can be spoiled, rotten, squander it, and live a terrible, wicked life. And we're like, why did that happen? Because they didn't get it the way you got it. I want my kids to have the best. I want them to be armed for whatever they're going to face. So I'm going to give them the, the best of the world's state education. We're going to spare no expense. Hey, state state education can have its blessings, but it had better be coupled with a real solid Bible education and discipleship, or they may get a great education that sucks the spiritual life right out of them. You know, parents will say, I I want my my kids to have the best, so I'm going to give them what they want. I love my kid. I'm going to get, what do you want, kid? What do you want? And we teach the kid that whatever you want, we're here for you. Mom and dad are just, we exist to be your personal Uber. Where do you want to go? When? What do you want to eat? What time? How much? I have seen so many parents that just hop to their kid as though their kid rules the universe. And one day that kid grows up and expects everyone else to hop. And they don't. And they, the kid can't hold on a job. The kid can't keep friends. The kid is frustrated with life. And why doesn't everybody else understand what I know, what I've been brought up with my whole life, that I rule around here? Mom, Dad, these guys didn't get the memo. You know, many of us millennials, we were lied to at our college graduation. I'm sorry, high school graduation. Graduates. Graduates are over there sleeping. You know, one guy, he's like, you know, blow the hair up. We done yet? You know, uh, graduates, the world's been waiting for you. This moment, this is your moment. This is your world. The whole world has been waiting with bated breath for you to come to this day. No, actually they haven't. I'm sorry. You're going to walk out and own it all. You can do whatever you want to do. And the lies continue. The world is at your fingertips. Yeah, we were lied to. 
we millennials, and we walked out and just thought people would give us a job for 50 bucks an hour without having to work and whatever, and, and, and why can't I have 32 weeks vacation and work from home in my pajamas all the time? What is the world coming to? Everything should be free. And much of this is because we have not been armed as Peter instructed us to be armed. No, but I have been. I've been giving my kids everything. I've given them everything. Pastor, you don't understand. I gave them this and this and this and this. Yeah, I know you've given them all kinds of stuff. That's great. But did you arm them with the mind of Christ, the mind to embrace suffering and embrace hardship? So many, so many Christian parents, they love their kids to death and they would take a bullet for their kid. And the problem is they do it all day long. And that kid never takes a bullet from the coach, never takes a bullet from the teacher. That kid can't take a bullet from the neighbor. That kid, mom and dad will throw themselves in front of him and protect him at every single turn. Everyone's against my child. You have successfully destroyed that child's future. You have to be willing to let that child get some abrasions, have some disappointments, learn how to grieve, learn how to suffer, learn how to stand, learn how to get knocked down and picked back up. We all know that if the baby bird does not make its own way out of the egg, that baby bird will not develop the strength in its wings to fly. And I believe there are a lot of young people today that are flapping their wings, but they're not going anywhere. And it's really not their fault entirely. It's the philosophy that we have had. We have not armed them biblically. So let's look at this again, verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. So there's more suffering. They're adding to your hardship. Speaking evil of you because you won't do the things you used to do with them, which makes them feel bad. Well, he says, they'll give an account to him who is ready to judge the quick and the dead for this cause. Was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit? But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be, be, be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer, and above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same to one to another." 
as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want you to see what... What, what our culture, our culture would arm us and our children differently than this. When you arm yourself with the mind of Christ to embrace hardship and suffer as a believer, you arm yourself to embrace some of the silver lining, which we're going to talk about, the silver lining of that suffering. But our culture would arm us with entitlement and demands and expectation that we deserve something, something wonderful. Uh, Peter would have us to remember what the mindset of Christ is. It's Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. If your kid doesn't get the best education, if your kid doesn't have the nicest clothes, all the lessons, all the, all the opportunities, all the classes, if your kid misses out on a bunch of stuff, but he learns or she learns Mark 10.45, your kid will be more armed for the future than anybody else. Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Folks, what is on the inside has got to be discipled to be able to withstand the hardships that are coming. You can give a bunch of things, a bunch of baggage, uh, the, the best computers, the best this, the best games, the best whatever, but all that stuff is not going to make them who they need to be to persevere. It's amazing. I was a coach. I've been a coach several times for basketball, and I was coaching my son's team, and we had a, we had a, a, a team that needed a lot of work. We were a very young team. And so that particular season, we won no games. We embraced hardship, okay? We suffered together. And we said, hey, we'll learn from this together. But I, I had one kid on the team who was a, a rich kid and had everything he wanted. And I asked all the kids, now it's winter time. Do you have a place to, to shoot hoops and practice? Can you shovel off your driveway, shoot in your driveway? Do you have school? You can, oh yeah, I got something at school. And the one kid's like, I got a gym in my, in my basement and I've got a humongous gym, you know. Oh, okay. You guys can go to his house and uh, go to the basement in his full court and you guys can play. All right, that's cool. Uh, so he was very skilled. He was very, very good. He was my most talented player. And uh, we came to the playoffs, and uh, we're trying to make a run from the last seed all the way to glory. Didn't happen. But uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to give us our best shot. So every play I'm running is going through this kid. Not because he was rich, not because he had a gym, but because he could play. Uh, not, that, not that he was the only one that could play, but he, he, he was our best shot. So I think we ran, no kidding, about 15 plays in a row through that kid and he never brought, he could never get the ball to the hoop. He, he never got even a shot on the goal. The, the defense snuffed him out. They figured this is the guy. We shut him down. We shut them all down. And he turned the ball over 15 times in a row. And so I said, finally, I said, hey, brother, you know what? We gave you your run. 
good work, good try. Now I'm going to take the kids off the bench. They're going to play. We're down 45 to 2 or whatever it was. We're going to clear the bench and, and we're going to get everybody in. But hey, oh, he was so mad. I had just subbed out Michael Jordan. He was so mad. Everybody else got in. A couple kids made a basket. You know, I think they put their subs in too. But anyway, we, 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 we go to the locker room and I'm trying to encourage them. This kid was seething. He was disrespectful. He was rude. He's pouting. And what was worse was his mother. I don't really care what I took from the kid, but his mother. You would have thought I was the worst scumbag coach. I'm thinking, I ran every single play through your son as he dribbled it off his toes into the defense. 15 turnovers in a row. No, I, I should have stopped at seven. I gave your kid everything, but she takes her kid and storms out. I didn't, I, Lord bless you, you know. Why is that? She was determined to give her kid a better experience, and she thought that experience is going to hurt him, harm him. He didn't get to win. He, if he had a better coach, he could have flourished, whatever. What she missed was a golden opportunity to say, son, this is going to make you. You found a whole team of kids that were better than you. This is going to make you. Let's, let's listen to the coach. Let's learn from this. But that is not how we think today. So what's the silver lining here quickly? We're out of time. So I'm just going to hit these five things quickly. And, and I apologize for going so quickly. We read the verses. The, 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 the verses 1 through 5. When we arm ourselves with the same mind as Christ when we're prepared for suffering, we recognize that suffering servants are separate from sin. That's what verses 1 through 5 said. He says, uh, he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And, and, okay, when Christ suffered in the flesh, he died. One day, we may suffer to the point of death. And you know what? There's a silver lining. We're done sinning. Sin is over. And he says, but more than that, we should have that mindset now. Verse 2, we should no longer live the rest of our, our lives, uh, live the rest of our time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. And those who suffer get a different perspective. You know, when you suffer as a Christian, God can give you through that suffering a, a, a sour taste for sin. It's amazing how suffering purges and hardship purges us. We say, wait a minute, what, what am I doing with my life? Where am I going with my life? I've gone through too much hardship to go back to this or go back to that. And suffering, there's a silver lining. Suffering will help servants to be separate from sin, but to live their life for the will of God. He points out in the next couple of verses, he, he points out, you used to party with the best of them. That's what it's basically saying. You used to get involved in all the sins, the lasciviousness, the lust, of, uh, the lust, the excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abom abominable idolatries. You used to party with the best of them, but not now. And now, unfortunately, you're going to take more hardship for the fact that you gave it up. Wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. You know what people will do? They will see you walking with God and the peace of God and getting rid of sin and having some hope, and they don't want to believe it's real. And so in order to, 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 to deny that what you're experiencing is real, they'll try to bring you down. 
They also don't want to feel guilty, and your testimony makes them feel guilty. When I was in Ireland, the guys would get cleaned from drugs at the, at the Reformers Unanimous Men's Home. They'd go on vacation, or they called it a holiday. They'd go on holiday to their hometown to see mom, get some home cooking, and during the three, four days they were there, they would have every single friend come to them and not say, how you doing? Are you three months clean? They'd say, you want some of this? Want some of this? They had to bring them down. They had to prove it's not real. You can't get free. And what I'm doing isn't that bad. See, he's still with me. And if they didn't do it, then they just hated him. They just hated him. It was amazing to me. There's no attaboys. It was you, goody two-shoes, blah, 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 blah. You left us. That's what Peter says happens right here. And he says, you're going to take some suffering for it, but that's okay. Leave that old crowd to the Lord. God will judge them, he writes, and we just read it. He says, remember, the gospel was preached to prepare us for life in the Spirit, despite the judgment of of men. And that was verse 6. Despite the judgment of men, God has prepared us for life in the Spirit. Silver lining, suffering servants are separate from sin. Also, suffering servants are sober-minded. Hardship will sober you up. It will. And he says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. It is a good thing to go through some hardship once in a while and some suffering that will help you to burn off the chaff of your life. Have you ever had that happen? I hope you've had that happen in your life where you have come through a hardship and at the other end of the hardship, you have dropped some things. I don't need this, don't need that, don't need this, don't need that. Well, why didn't you know that before? you hadn't suffered. And the suffering is what gave you that perspective. I want to be clear-minded. I'm thinking more clearly. The last days are upon us. What am I doing with my life? Sober up. And suffering leads you to prayer like nobody prays. Thirdly, we're racing now. Suffering servants are steadfast in love, verse 8. Isn't it something how suffering will purge you from a self-love? Hardship will just humble you and make you care about the people in your life. And you'll see them not as a nuisance or not as an obstacle, but you'll see them for who God sees them to be. And and suffering and hardship can give you some, some love again. And he says, Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. It is something how when you go through hardship and you go through suffering, you're more patient with other people. You're more patient with their problems and and so forth. You'll say, hey, I love you, buddy. And you're willing to cover. Now, I don't mean cover in the sense of hide or wrongdoing. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying love just says, I'm going to pass over that. I love you. I'm just going to pass over that. I've been through some suffering enough to know this isn't as big a deal. I love you, brother. Suffering servants are steadfast in love, but fourth, but I say five, I think we have six. Suffering, suffering servants serve. Suffering servants serve. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gifts, even so minister, even so serve. In other words, the same one to another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Then verse 11, if any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. Okay, so those who have gone through hardship are humbled by the Lord. They've been pruned by the Lord. 
And God will give you, through that humility and that process, more of a heart to serve others. Selfless servants serve. Selfish servants are self-serving. They minister with what they've been given, seeing themselves as humble stewards, not as entitled owners. Then verse 11, suffering servants speak as the oracles of God. If you ever want to hear from God, I mean, don't we want to hear from God? And God doesn't just talk to us today. We have his word. But I'll tell you what, if you really want to hear from God, listen to someone who has suffered. Have you ever gone to a meeting and someone stands up to give a testimony and you say, oh, 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 this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so. They've just been through this and this and this. Everyone just listens. Where I went to school over in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, the church there, Falls Baptist, uh, you may have remembered this July 4th, they had an accident where a car drove into their church picnic. They were watching the July 4th uh, fireworks. Car drove into the picnic and killed one of the Bible college students. The parents came to the funeral, of course, they did the funeral at Falls, and then the parents came back like three months later to talk about what God had taught them. The news media was there, Fox and all that, they were there. The place was packed. Why? People want to hear from someone who's gone through hardship and still has hope and joy and peace. He says, there's some silver linings to facing hardship and arming yourself with the mind of God. You'll be able to speak as the oracle of God. In other words, the mouthpiece, the vessel that God uses. Suffering brings you close enough to Jesus to really know him and be able to speak what he would have you to say. God entrusts his word, I believe, to those who have suffered. And finally, silver lining of all of this, as we arm ourselves with the same mind, the mind of Christ, we're prepared for suffering. Suffering servants sing praise to God. It's Thanksgiving time, folks. We're supposed to thank him and praise him. And verse 11 says, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Isn't it amazing? It seems counterintuitive that those who have suffered the most tend to praise the most. And that's what makes God so big in this day. That is why Thanksgiving is so important. And if you're going through a trial right now and you say, oh, I, how can I be thankful there's this and this and this and this whole year or maybe it's been two, three years. I am just, I, I, how do I praise? This is an opportunity to show forth the praise of, of God for his faithfulness, for his love, for his goodness through it all, for carrying you. And this is a time that we can help others see Jesus. On this Thanksgiving and not just Thanksgiving, we can praise the Lord and I'll tell you this, we haven't been through a winter yet where half our crowd died. But would we praise him just the same if we had? There's a silver lining as we arm ourselves with Christ's mind. William Bradford, one of the pilgrims, wrote this to his friends and family upon his decision to join the separatists. To keep, uh, so so they, they, his family and friends were, were against it, right? 
He says, to keep a good conscience and walk in such a way as God has prescribed in his word is a thing which I must prefer before you all and above life itself. Wherefore, since it is for a good cause that I am likely to suffer the disasters which you lay before me, in other words, what you're saying is going to happen, it's probably going to happen. You have no cause to be either angry with me or sorry for me. Yea, I am not only willing to part with everything that is dear to me in this world for this cause, but I am thankful that God has given me heart so to do and will accept me so to suffer for him. What were they going to the new world for? More money! Nope. He says, I'm going to the new world to suffer for him. And I'm probably going to endure all of the things, all the disasters that you've laid before me, but I'm doing it for him. Why? I believe because he had armed himself likewise with the same mind. May God help us to do so as well. Lord God, I pray you would help us to arm ourselves likewise with the same mind. Lord, we need greater humility. We need, Lord, a a, a different perspective. Not a selfish, entitled one, but a selfless one. Thanking you for how you've suffered for us and saying we are willing to also suffer for your name, that you would be glorified, that you would use us I pray that parents would arm themselves and arm their children with this same mind. May we not insulate our kids and thus rob them of the strength that they need for the future. I pray that we would arm ourselves. We don't know what we're going to face. We have nothing uh, that we can count on in this world except for you. We can't count on this country. We can't count on the Constitution. We can't count on, on, on uh, politicians. We count on you, Lord. We ask that you would help us to arm ourselves with the same mind. Help us now as we respond to you. Us, uh, uh, the pianist, to play as we take a moment before the Lord. You could pray right there quietly in your seat. If you'd like to come to the front and kneel, you may do so at the front. But would you take a moment to arm yourselves, likewise with the same mind? The mind of Christ who suffered in the flesh for us. Be no more I, but Christ that lives in me. Thank you, Ariel. You can look this way. Christians have a unique opportunity in this day to be a light. And part of the way that light shines the brightest is through thanksgiving and praise. 
in spite of suffering.